Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 358, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. Did you just get sniped? <laughs> it felt like it. It felt like somebody kicked open the door, and there's just a single gunshot, but I didn't hear any other noise. Very close to that. God, what, what, are you okay? You survive? Barely. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. God, that's fun. That's what's so fun. We always do the same intro, but sometimes like something random happens and it just ends up being different, which is great. I'm a very large fan of that. Well, it, it provides a sense of unique uh, realism. Yeah. So there you have it. So it's happened. The Dallas Cowboys continue to slay the offseason. I got to give kudos because, look, I've ripped them before. You want them to do things. Well, they've done some things. And we talked about it last week. They made the move for Stefan Gilmore. They were able to link LVE, Leighton Van Der Esch, and, and Donovan Wilson, re-ink those guys for what I thought were very, very nice contracts. And then today here, as we record this on Sunday, very early Sunday afternoon, the Dallas Cowboys have done it again. They have made the move for Brandon Cooks. Before we go down the Cowboys rabbit hole here with Brandon Cooks, let's tell you about Greening Law. Greening Law, of course, again, if, if you've been hurt in a car accident, you've experienced malpractice, injured on the premises of a business, they're a personal injury lawyer. So they deal with cases like if somebody has hurt you or you were hurt and it wasn't your fault and insurance companies get involved, that type of thing, you need to give a call to the green team at Greening Law because it's a free consultation. And that's pretty much exactly how it rolls, man. They They... They get you taken care of, and they are experts at doing this. I worked with them for well over a year, and they kept fighting for me and helping me tremendously behind the scenes. If you're in that situation, give them a call. It's easy. No, man, think about greening law is if, if you're going through something like this, what you want is can I get somebody to hold my hand through this process? Can I get somebody to show me when to turn left and when to turn right? That's really what you're looking for. Greening law, those people can do it. So if you're involved in an accident, and it doesn't really matter whether it happens in an apartment complex, a business, somewhere other than your home. What you really, really need to do is pick up the phone, give them a call, say, here's my situation. And then, as me and Matt like to say, hope like heck that they bring you on as a client. That's exactly right, man. It's an easy call to make again. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. I was stoked when I found out this trade. I, I woke up this morning and I, I started seeing some things. What was funny is I saw Brandon Cook's comments first, and I didn't realize he was talking about the Cowboys. And I was like, oh, Cook's got traded again. And then I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm scrolling through Twitter, and I'm like, oh, my God, Cook's got traded to the Cowboys. Like, this is fantastic. And so they're going to send a fifth rounder in the 2023 draft coming up in April, a sixth rounder in 2024. Houston is paying $6 million of his $18 million salary so the Cowboys are only on the hook for $12 million. And we talked about this last week, man, that it, it was interesting. They kept trying to clear some cap space. And I kept thinking, man, there's another move out there. There's something that they've got to have in their mind. And sure enough, they did. And what's great about this is they tried to get Brandon Cooks at the trade deadline and offered Houston a third and were turned down. And now they get him for a fifth and a sixth. Sensational deal for the Cowboys. And here's why. Didn't cost them anything. Mm. 
I mean, that's I mean, that's number one. Didn't cost him anything. Um, Houston's paying six million of it of uh, his eighteen million dollars salary. And here's the thing: he can still play. And the thing that makes you feel even better about the deal is he's had a thousand yards, I believe, with four different teams. Um, if he can do it here, that's five. But that shows his ability to adjust, adapt, improvise to different playbooks, different coaches, different circumstances, and still thrive. He's been a really good receiver since he showed up in the league. And the only question is, why does a really good receiver get moved so much? Yeah, it is really strange, man. And, and, and it's almost as if, like, the teams that he goes to, it's almost as if, oh, we signed this guy, and uh, we're paying him too much, and we're not as good as we thought we were going to be, so let's move on from him. I mean, you're because you mentioned it, three seasons in New Orleans, one season in New England, two seasons with the Rams, three seasons in Houston, and now over to the Cowboys. But this is a guy that, in his career – 2014 first round draft pick out of Oregon State ran a 4-3 at the combine he's got blazing speed smaller dude he's like 5 180 something but you look at this in his career he's had nine full seasons in the NFL and in six of those seasons he's had a thousand yards or more I mean he's like I said man he's a prof- I called him a professional receiver like he runs good routes he's got terrific speed he can make big plays he's just a pro man and uh in this situation where he doesn't have to be anywhere close to being a man. Uh, I think it only allows him to thrive. He can operate out of the slot. He can play outside. It gives mm-hmm. you more versatility. Same thing does CeeDee Lamb. And so to me, man, it's a um, it's a heck of a move. It is. And, it is. And the, the thing about it is, for once, they seem to be getting better as opposed to just you know holding still or maintaining the status quo, which which it feels like so many times in the offseason. They lose two guys. Okay, we replaced those two guys we lost. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're back up and running. And now they kept the guys that they wanted, and now they're actually adding pieces who can play to the mix. Yeah, and I, I love it because for so long it's been this draft and develop thing, which is great when you develop guys like Leighton or Donovan Wilson and you want to resign them kick ass. But as we've been talking about pretty much every offseason, it, it's okay to look at some of these other teams out there and say, is there a piece that's, that we can get from somewhere else that we don't have to go into the draft? And for a team that's supposedly trying to win right now, this makes a ton of sense to me rather than, you know, maybe you still do get a young wide receiver in the draft. Maybe you go and get a young corner in the draft. But those people, much like the expectation of whatever they thought Jalen Tolbert was going to do last year, now it becomes you don't need that guy to perform. If he does kick ass, that's great. Good for you. But you've got this strong veteran group now with CeeDee Lamb being your one, Brandon Cooks your two, it bumps Michael Gallup back down to the three that he was very effective at when, when Cooper was here. I think it's fantastic. I, I, I love this move. And to your point, I think it shows that the Cowboys are taking this thing seriously and realize that, okay, we can't just count on the draft providing all the answers for us. No, I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. That they've, you know, sometimes uh, better sooner, what is it, better late than never. Mm. It's just that, you know, or you have to get better maintaining the status quo is not is not good enough when you're really trying to win and you look at other teams they're not maintaining the status quo they're trying to get better look at the eagles they're trying to get better yeah you know look look at the giants they're trying to get better and so if you intend to um to compete with those guys then you too have got to get better it's not enough to just say hey we're in the same boat no you got to get better man and this is a uh this is a real good move in that direction. Yeah, and I love this because, as you mentioned, he can play outside and the slot. Lamb can do both of those things. And it's wild because if you look at it from the slot, he has finished inside the top 20 in yards per route from the slot in each of the last three seasons. And I was reading our, our buddy John Owning, who works for PFF now, did this nice breakdown of brain. I mean, really in-depth on his route running and all this type of stuff. But a couple of the nuggets that I took from the article he had on Brandon Cooks. And again, you know, we, we take PFF. We use the grades when we like them. And we, we say they're crap when we don't. But, you know, you can take it for whatever it's worth. But dating back to 2020, Brandon Cooks is the second highest rated receiver from PFF on 20-plus yard targets behind only Justin Jefferson. Hey. I mean, does it get any better than that? So, I mean, I'll take that. This is a guy, and it's interesting because Owning points out in his article, he's such a good route runner, and he understands how to use his hands and his feet really well that when they do put him out on the outside against bigger corners, smaller guy, obviously, that press coverage, but he's such a efficient route runner that he beats that a lot and gets a ton of separation because of that. He uses his speed and his knowledge and his ability to run routes, which is something I think – we had with Amari Cooper, 
They lost that. Amari Cooper is one of the best route runners in the NFL. Now you get a guy in Brandon Cooks that is also an elite level route runner. And like I mentioned, it, it really helps when you've got Michael Gallup now, you can put him on the outside and chances are the team's two best corners are not going to be covering Michael Gallup. No, and that you know now now what are we talking about? Now you're talking about getting into matchups and being able to make plays mm-hmm. because you can dictate who covers whom, uh, and then and that's really what you want. So yeah, Michael Gallup, if he's if he's running routes against somebody else's third corner or their fourth corner or a safety, yeah, you like Michael Gallup, his ability to take advantage of that and make plays. And so no nah, man, to me it's a uh, now check this out, Doug. None of this precludes you, nor should it, from taking a wide receiver in the first round. Right, yeah. Or the second round, depending on on how the draft falls. But you now – and see, I would say Brandon Cooks is also a playmaker. If you look at his resume, he's a guy who makes big plays. Mm-hmm. So now you're up to three playmakers. Can you get one in the draft and get it to four? And so, you know, that to me is is, is what we're talking about. That's why it's been a good offseason, man. Really good offseason for your Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it has been. I mean, we're talking about a guy in his career averages five catches for 65 yards a game. I mean, you, you look at every single season except for last year, and Houston was horrible last year. He missed some time. He has had a his long reception of the year is 52 yards or more. You know, he's got one 71 yards, a 98-yarder a few years back. I mean, this is a guy who can fly and take the top off of defense. I love it. I think it, 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 it's just, it's fantastic that they're actually, they looked at it, they saw everything that all the rest of us saw, and they are actually making moves to address those things that make sense. Instead of trying to tell us in camp, well, we got a lot of dry powder in the keg, or, well, we like our young guys, and we got a lot of young guys that we think our projections show that we're going to be, they finally are addressing those things. And I love it, man. I, I, so far, very early on in this offseason, I really like what they're doing. How could you not, bro? I mean, really, how could you not? It's yeah. uh, their moves designed to win. And that's, I mean, that's all you really ask for. Can you make some moves to put us in position uh, so that we can win if people play their pedigree and play the way that they're supposed to play? Um, you know, and now that's the second part, if we can avoid catastrophic injury. But, you know, they're in position now, man. And that's really, I mean, that's really uh, all you can ask for. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, now you can go into the draft and, and you've got what, whatever you need. You don't feel like you have to have a receiver if the guy you want isn't there. I, I think it gives you some, some flexibility to truly take that best player available, which they, they likely do anyway. But this is, this is something that just obviously it just it betters the team. And that's one thing you mentioned that they are making themselves better. You talk about these other teams that we saw making moves to get better. And the, the 49ers are a great example with the signing of Hargrave in the middle. You know, are they going to regret that two years from now? Who knows? But who cares? Because they're going for it. And that's one of those things that you want the Cowboys to do. And I'm stoked. I'll be very curious to see how this draft works out for them at 26. Because there, there is going to be, you know, whether it's wide receiver, tight end, running back, what they decide to do in trying to add another weapon to this offense. Or maybe it's just an offensive lineman or somebody like that. I mean, who knows? But... I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what they do. No, man, I, th- I think you're, uh, I think you're dead on with that. It's a, um, I just think that you can, uh, dude, I sound like a scout now. Well, we would just like to take the best player available at that point, but really that's yeah. what you can do, bro. I mean, really, that's what you can do. You can take the best player there. And um, uh, to me, uh, that's that's what you want to do. You don't want to force it. You don't want to feel like you're you're obligated to take somebody. You don't want to feel like you need to fill this gap or that gap. Yeah. Just go take the best player available, bro. Uh, who can play? And when you do that, as I've said for a long time, good things usually happen to you. Yeah, let's hope for it, man. Now, Mc- let me ask you this. Mm. Do you have a preference? For selection? Man. Yeah. I don't... It, it's... I don't know. I mean, probably for me, I, I still would be curious, depending on the wide receiver that's there, because as we know, you're an injury away from being right back in the same kind of situation that you were in. Right. They lose Noah Brown. Who knows if Jalen Tolbert's going to turn out ever. He may just be a complete bust. And I'm also curious because they never do this. But w- what if the highest rated tight end on your board is there? Is it worth adding a weapon? And I'm talking about a receiving guy that you, that you is sitting there. And I've I've seen like the Kincaid kid, you know, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame is going to go really high. Is that worth spending a first round pick on? Is a running back? You know, we've we've talked. Chill comes on the podcast, and he's all about if Bijan's there at 26, you got to take him. I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's 
it's one of those things because the value play, you can get a guy, you, you basically have him if you want him for seven years, like they did with Zeke, you can run him oh. into the ground. And our, our, my thing is adding whatever it is that they add in the draft. My, I'll tell you, my preference is an offensive skill position player that can add to the explosiveness of the offense and give Dak another player, whether it's a tight end, a wide receiver, or a running back. Because I think you've got a year or two still. You've gone 12 and 5. That's nice. You've gone to the playoff back to back years. I'm not real concerned about what they're going to do with that draft pick five years from now. I want them to go nope. and, and take advantage of this right now. No, I mean, I think to me, that's the, uh, that's the move to make and that's the best thing to do. Um, I would, uh, you know, I haven't been a B. John Robinson fan in terms of draft pick because I'm like, ah, why would you match him up with Pollard? Seems like replication from the same position. I'd rather have a receiver. But the more I've thought about it, you know, and I think he's a wild card in the draft. Nobody has any idea yeah. whether he could go as high as 10 to Philly or whether teams just the, the precipitous uh, fall begins because teams are like, ah, we like him, but we'd rather get something here and running back the value, all this other stuff. If he's hanging there around 19 or 20, bro, I might be inclined to try to go get him, uh, given that the price might not be that high. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason would be, and I'm a big Tony Pollard fan, as I've told y'all many, many times, that one of the things that makes him special is his long-distance touchdown ability. I think he averaged 33 yards on his 12 touchdowns last year. And amongst running backs, the next guy was like 15. Mm-hmm. And that was Nick Chubb. So he's, he's not your regular, ordinary running back. That being said, Matt, you franchising this year, fine. If you don't get a long-term deal done with him, you know, three years or two years or a fake four-year deal, whatever it is, you're not going to tag him at 13, bro. Yeah, that's very true. And so you probably, you might say that you're looking at your last year, Tony Pollard, plus he's going to be 28 next year. Mm-hmm. So you could draft Bijan this year. He can split time with Pollard. And then what? Pollard's gone. You got Bijan. You draft another dude in the fourth round to pair with him, and you're off and running for six years. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, and, and you, I don't think you have to – players aren't going to hold out anymore like Zeke did to get his money. And I think you tell Bijan, oh, yeah, we're going to work on something. We'll see if we can get something. And, and really, you don't. And, and you do that. You, you get the sixth year, you tag him, and then you let him walk away. Unless he is like the elite of the elite and comes out in that fifth or sixth year and has a 2,000-yard rushing season or some shit that nobody right. can see coming. But even then, I mean, it's so rare. It, it just, like, you look at this team, this Dallas Cowboys team, and it feels like somebody like a Bijan Robinson could really add to what this offense is about. And maybe because they like Pollard a lot, they can get a little bit more creative. We saw it a few times last year where they would have Zeke and Pollard on the field together. You know, Pollard's very comfortable. He can catch balls out of the backfield. He can, he can play that type of role for you. Because to me, it's all about how many playmakers can you get on the field at one time for Dak? No, that's absolutely what it's about. And then he can then he can really be at his best and you know whatever happens is whatever happens in terms of how well he plays. Right. But uh when you don't have him surrounded by weapons, you're asking him to do things that he's that that aren't the best things that he does. And so, you know, at that point, what are you going to do? Yeah, man. And and it's you know, it's one of those things again and it it's it's probably going to be official at some point. I don't know when, but you know, Aaron Rodgers made it obvious last week he wants to go play to the New York with the New York Jets. They're trying to figure out how that compensation is going to work. It, it's going to be, I mean, to me, it's a game of chicken between those two franchises. But before we dive into that, the thing being, without Aaron Rodgers in the NFC, and we kind of mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I mean, literally look around the NFC and tell me who the best quarterback is. Because Aaron Rodgers is going to the AFC. And, and right. I, I think, man, you look at this, and is Dak the best quarterback in the NFC? You can say it's Jalen Hurts. Maybe there's somebody else. I, I don't know that he's not in the top three. Oh, I mean, definitely in the top three. I mean, however you, however you choose to, to slice it, dice it, chop it up, he's definitely there. If he plays his usual ball, now he's got to do that. Then, you know, they should be, uh, they should be in the hunt. There's... The way they're constructed right now before the draft, uh, you know, San Francisco's good, Dallas is good, Philadelphia's good. Uh, the Giants look like they're going to be good. Maybe, uh, maybe I don't know if Detroit's going to be good or not. They had put a couple years together. Minnesota will probably be there. But 
Dallas should be in the hunt. And frankly, that's all you can ask, right? Yeah, you would think so, man. I mean, you, you look at what's around this division or this conference, rather, and Russell Wilson goes to the AFC. Now Aaron Rodgers going to the AFC. And I mean, it, it feels much like it did last year. It really feels like the NFC is completely wide open. And, and you've got this little nucleus here that you can still take advantage of, I think. And, and that's what the Cowboys are trying to do. Will it work? Who knows? We'll see. But that Aaron Rodgers thing, man, that is... He continually paints himself to be a colossal douchebag. Like just the, thing, the things that he says and all that stuff that he does, man. I think it's, um, I think it's fairly, uh, fairly accurate. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he... I was talking about this with some of the guys up at the radio station last week, and it's just this guy is is if he wasn't already, it feels like he's becoming the most disliked player in the NFL. Like you hear all these things that he says, and now it's you know it's like oh like that whole thing that he sent to Adam Schefter apparently like lose my number and all this crap, and he's he just I mean I never liked Aaron Rodgers to begin with. He's an elite great quarterback, but he just seems like a, a, a colossal dick. Man, sometimes you run into people like that, and it's uh, you know, I don't know what it is, man. I don't know if he he wants the attention, he doesn't want the attention. Uh, he wants to be the smartest dude in the room. He wants to be mysterious. I don't know if that's what it is, but I think you're right. I think he's uh, he's at the top of the class for douchebags. Um, now he did he did admit that he did want to go play for the Jets and in his career, but I guess this is what I'm saying is if Diana Russini reports that you have a list of players you'd like to come with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And she says it's a wish list, and that's what she said, then you can't go and put out, I never made any demands. It's not a de demand list. Why are you mischaracterizing what I said? Because she ain't mischaracterizing. You mischaracterized what you said. <laughs> and so, you know, man, that kind of stuff gets on your nerves. But uh, he's a great player, and sometimes people who are – our great players, uh, you know, man, they take this whole entitlement thing to the edge. Yeah, that's very, very true, man. And, and he is there. And I just thought, I mean, that list of players and then the Jets go out and get uh, Alan Lazard and, and, and sign him to that deal for Aaron Rodgers. And now, of course, like he said, well, it's just about compensation. And you look at this and, and if I'm the Packers, I go, OK, we got to eat 40 million dollars in dead cap if we trade you. The Jets are going to not only have to give up some sort of draft capital, but they're also going to have to pay him $59 million in salary in 2023. So it's because I was somebody was saying, oh, the Jets have all the power. I was like, eh, to some degree. But then how long are you willing to wait for Aaron Rodgers to come in? Are you, are you willing to get up to the we're about to go to camp? We need this guy here. So, okay, all right, Packers, we'll, we'll give you what you ask for. Here's a first and a second and a third or whatever it is. Or if you're the Packers, we want to get rid of this dude. We don't want him around. We don't want to just have him sitting here. So we're not going to pay $59 million for a backup quarterback. So fine, Jets, we, we are no longer demanding the two first rounders or whatever it is You know that's been reported. Schefter reported that Green Bay wants a package similar to what the, the Lions got for Matt Stafford, which was two firsts and a quarterback, and I think a third-round pick. Well, why would you, if, if to me, if you're the Jets, why would you give that up for Aaron Rodgers? If, if you're going to do that, go get Lamar Jackson. Dude, yeah. Well, easy. It's because they appear to have allegedly colluded. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's why they don't want to get Lamar Jackson. Or to make it simpler, they don't want to play a part of resetting the quarterback market. Right. And so... If you're not going to, I mean, the only way you get Lamar Jackson is you got to reset the quarterback market. And so to reset it would be something that they they seem to all be in agreement that that shouldn't happen. So if you're not going to reset it, dog, the only thing left is to uh, is to deal with uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and he's the best available dude, and go make it happen that way. We'll see if they can. I'll be very curious to see what the trade compensation is because if you're the Jets you give up too much I mean for all we know Aaron Rodgers plays one season in, with the Jets and is like eh, I'm done and the Jets are sitting here going kick ass we just gave up three draft picks for you and now we are stuck in a cycle again with no quarterback 
which I think the whole thing with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets is interesting to me. I don't view the Jets like if Aaron Rodgers goes there, I don't look at them thinking that all of a sudden they're they're the favorite in the AFC or even in their own division. It makes them better, but I, I don't know that I think Aaron Rodgers is taking the Jets to the even a conference title game in the AFC. I mean, you know, the Bills are still going to be the Bills. It's a tough division. Yeah. But but the thing is, if you have Aaron Rodgers, you can compete. If you don't have him, I mean, Zach Wilson, you're not going to be able to, to compete. It's simple as that. Yeah. And we'll see how it plays out, man. It's a, a wild, wild NFL offseason, but it always is. If you need something that will bring you some peace of mind and you talk about wild things, going to a mechanic is like that, man. It, it can be because you never know what you're going to get. I mention this all the time because it's so true. Like I, at some point, we're going to have to go and, and get the brakes, uh, whatever you call it. I don't know that they need to be replaced, but but worked on or whatever it is. And it's getting to that point. You know, you got to go get your tire rotation. You got to do this. And when you don't have that guy like Jr. and his team over at Freeway Tire Shop to go to, I mean, I end up asking people, hey, man, where do you take your car for this? Or where do you go for this? Or all this, because you want somebody to vouch for when you drop your car off. Because we all know it can be a pain in the ass and it's not cheap no matter where you go. And that's why a freeway tire shop, like you don't even have to think about it, Jacques. You just, that's where I go. The guy stands behind his work. It's a fair price. I'm good. And it doesn't stress me out at all when I go to the mechanic. No, bro, it's the best way to operate. Um, You know, we like to say you go to a doctor because you trust him. You go to a mechanic because you trust him. You trust him, and when you go to Freeway Tire, you trust JR, which you should, to, how about this, man? Just diagnose what's wrong with the daggone car so I, I can get it up and running. Then, trust him to use quality parts to fix the car. You trust him to charge you a fair price, and then, man, you trust him to stand behind his work. And as I like to say, if your mechanic ain't doing all four of those things, all four of those things, then what you need to do is take your butt right up 35, no it didn't, get off the of Commonwealth, go through the light, Go to Freeway Tires right there on the right. Tell them your boys from Jam Session sent you, and it'll be one of the best moves you ever made. Yep, that's exactly right, man. It's Freeway Tire Shop. Go experience it. You finally can trust your mechanic. It's JR and his crew at Freeway Tire Shop. Also, of course, HFX Foundation Solutions making the podcast possible. We appreciate them, and you guys will appreciate them too. Everybody knows, especially in the North Texas area, foundations get wonky. HFX is a full-service foundation repair company. They do all of it. They even handle drainage and gutter installations, that type of thing. You need to give them a call if you notice any of the signs, the sticking doors, the cracks, the soil washout, all of this. That can be signs that your house and your foundation has a problem, which is why Aaron and his guys will come out. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. Kind of give you that peace of mind. Maybe you do have a problem, and if you do, you want to catch it as early as possible with foundation stuff. Man. Why is it that we say that Aaron and his team give your house kind of like a colonoscopy for the crib? Well, the same reason you get one for yourself, and you should, is because you want to check out your insides and all the cameras can see all the things that you can't, man. What they do for your house is the same thing. They see all the problems going on internally with your crib that you can't see. Then they go about the business of fixing it, bro. So the reason why Aaron and his team come give your house the once over, colonoscopy for the crib is what we call it. Is so that if there is a problem, if there is, they can catch it early. And check this out, man. If they catch it early, odds are it's a fraction of the cost. And if they catch it late, and then you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, it, it's that peace of mind with your home. You need it. So give them a call if you think you've got a problem. They'll come out and tell you if you do or not. It's 817-770-0174. Or, of course, you can find them online at hfxfoundation.com. So check them out. So a quick trip around the block here, throw out some things for you. We watch a lot of TV, I like going through some shows, man. And I'll tell you, I don't know if you ever saw the show You on Netflix, but it's a show about a guy who's basically a, a crazy ass stalker. Season one was really, really well done. Really enjoyed it. Season two, I you're like, it. yeah, you, okay, so you have seen it. Yeah. So season two was like, okay, you know, I it's still all right. Season three got a little wonky. Season four is horrible. <laughs> and they released it in two parts. Like the first five episodes, I think, came out in February. The, the next five came out like a week ago, whenever it was. Right, right. Man, it, it is. It's like they had no clue. I really, it, it feels this way 
of, okay, well, we have some stuff in mind. Oh my God, this is such a popular show. Crap. Now we got to come up with another season. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. And they had no idea where they wanted the story to go. It's so stupid. There's like this supposedly like insane twist, like in the seventh episode of the season, me and the lady are watching it. And I go, you know what this is, right? And she goes, what? And I told her, she goes, you think so? I go, I guarantee you that's what's happening. Sure enough, that's what it was. I was like, my God, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's too predictable, huh? Yeah, it, well, it, it just it just is dumb. I mean, I, and I, I said, if we hadn't already gone through it, I said, well, let's see how it wraps up because I'm out. And, and at the end of the season, I, I said, I don't, if they do another season, don't care, I'm out. I will never watch this show again. And it's sad because they... Like you said, I mean, season one was really good. I think the problem is where could you go with it? Right. Like I didn't even really get down with season two. And that and became like, the so, thing. So you, yeah. so you really got these people trapped in this glass thing in your basement. Mm -hmm. Nobody misses them. Nobody comes looking for them. Nobody yeah. figures out that you're the weirdo who's around. <sighs> I don't know about that, bro. Yeah, and, and then like each season, somehow he, he magically meets the other serial killer that happens to be out there and realizes, oh, this is a killer as well. And he, they're like, but I'm better than them and all this type of crap. I mean... Yeah, Come do that on, once, perhaps right because uh, life can be stranger than fiction, but twice uh, that's not really happening. Yeah, and that glass box thing, like you're talking about, pops up again in season four. <laughs> and I just, I'm just sitting there going, okay, so how in the world does this dude find the place that nobody notices him getting packages delivered, getting massive equipment delivered, somehow to put together this this thing, this torture chamber or whatever it is? Right, it makes no sense. Nah, it's got to make sense, bro. And then I will tell you this. The Mandalorian season three, they release an episode every Wednesday. Yes. I'm starting to wonder if they've lost it. Ah. Yeah. It's, already? Yeah, man. And, and I really enjoyed season one was fantastic. Season two, I was like, okay, it's still Star Wars. Season three. And again, it's kind of like you. The Mandalorian, the first season, is a show about this dude, the Mandalorian, obviously, who's badass, and he discovers this little mini-looking Yoda guy. And so it's their story of, oh, they're bonding, and he's got to figure out where this kid can go. Season two, you think you figured it out. Well, now season, you get to season three, it's like, okay, so what are we going to do with this story? Because Grogu never grows. He's, he's this little tiny child that's going to take years to become older. So where, like, are we just going to have season after season of the Mandalorian zipping around the galaxy with this kid doing random things together? That ain't gonna make no sense. No, and, and so the last episode, it's like 10 minutes of the Mandalorian, 40 minutes of a completely different storyline that I don't give a flying F about, and then wrap it back up. Oh, here's what the Mandalorian and the kid are doing, by the way. And I was reading some stuff about this, and apparently it, it, it's... You know, there's so many different Star Wars things now and all these universes are going to start tying together. So they're giving you like a little here and a little here. And, oh, this might tie in with Andor. I was like, I don't care, man. I Show me the Mandalorian. But what, what are we doing with this guy? What's the end game here? What did you think it was going to be when it started? I don't know. It's a very good question. And, and that's why. I mean, honestly, if they never had a season two, I think I would have been cool and been like, man, that that one season of the Mandalorian is awesome. Because now it's like, again, where, where do you go? Grogu can only grow so fast. Right. And, and it's, he doesn't talk. You know, he kind of understands the force a little bit better now. So he does some cool stuff every once in a while. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's essentially the exact same story. How many different ways can you tell it without somehow jumping way into the future where Grogu turns into the next Yoda or something? I don't even know. I don't know. And I haven't seen it. I've just heard great things about it. It's so this is the first review you've given me that's been like, yeah, I don't know about this, bro. Yeah, season one, I mean, season one's incredible. And I think I might have mentioned this when it was out originally. It comes across, it's almost like a space Western, you know, this lone gunfighter kind of guy who, who does the right thing and has this code and all this. And season two had some really cool scenes in it and whatnot and then the villain and that. And now you just get into a point where, I don't know. And, and you talk about this sometimes, there are, there are shows that are really, really good for a season or two, but the source or whatever it is just doesn't make sense to keep it going, but they try to keep it going and it ends up being like, eh, it's unfortunate, but it happens. It happens to TV shows all the time. Yeah, all the time. I mean, we're, I've talked about how we're going through Seinfeld and we're in season eight of Seinfeld and it's the first season without Larry David attached to it. Oh, you can tell? 
You can tell. And, and the episodes are just different and you get the sense like they're doing a lot of sillier things and it's almost like how many jokes can we throw into one episode? Some of them are really good and then some of them aren't. And it, I don't know. It, it's, 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 I'll be curious because I've heard, I've heard that before that like the meat of the show, like seasons three through seven are insane. And then the first, the seasons one and two and seasons eight and nine, you can kind of tell they were figuring it out. They figured it out. They hit the meat. Then Larry David leaves and Seinfeld in his own, you know, as season eight and nine go on, they're just, it just, it's not what it once was, which is fine. I mean, hell, you know, a couple hundred episodes. How's it going to be that way? No, it, it happens, man. Times, uh, I think you told me this times have a shelf limit. Yeah. And, and if you reach it, then you've reached it. So my other thing, and this is totally random, but I just came across this article and I wanted to throw this out. When's the last time you had a Big Mac from McDonald's? Bro. Bro. Ah. Dude, it's been at least. I was trying to think it. If I had one, it's probably been 10 years. Yeah. If I haven't had, because it can't seem like I may have had one. But if if I if I'm not remember if I'm not remembering correctly. Then it's probably been thirty something years, maybe forty. That's wild, man. Because I'm kind of the same way, and it's interesting. When I was in high school, and maybe even into college, I loved Big Macs. I mean, I, I would eat them. You know, I'll say regularly, and, and by that, you know, maybe once a week, one, once every two weeks, whatever you would do. I loved Big Macs. Like that was my go-to at McDonald's. Big Mac and fries. I loved it. But man, I haven't eaten anything like that. I haven't, I, I'm probably the same as you. I bet I haven't had a Big Mac in 20 years. Now, the question is, I, I mean, I know why, but tell the people why. Oh, it, it, as you start, and I've mentioned this, you know, my whole thing, I don't eat burgers from fast food. I don't eat fast food anymore. I mean, I'll eat Chick-fil-A from time to time. That's it. Like, I don't ever go anywhere else. I just don't eat that kind of stuff. And now I wouldn't be able to. Like, I, I, I don't know how a Big Mac would make me feel at this point. I would probably feel good. horrible, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's, it, but I don't know, like back then I wasn't, I mean, hell I I've eaten Whataburger in, in, you know, Whataburger I ate probably 10 years ago, like a burger from Whataburger. I don't know what it was that I just, who knows why I got away from McDonald's and the Big Mac, even when I was eating fast food back years ago. I don't know. Um, I was never, but see, you were a Big Mac guy at a certain point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought the Big Mac was awesome. Um, see, I was never a Big Mac guy. I was always a quarter pounder guy. So I've, I've never, I just, I don't know, the three pieces of bread never did anything for me. Yeah, and, and um, so I brought this up because I just came across this article that the Big Mac, this <laughs> is so random, has hit a massive amount of inflation and that it now costs, on average, $5.15, which is 22% more than pre-pandemic era. Jeez. Which is nuts. But if I was a Big Mac fan, the cheapest Big Macs in the country out of 13,000 McDonald's are in Mississippi, where the Big Mac is still $3.91. And next is Alabama, where it is $3.95. How nuts is that? Dude. Everything's just gone crazy right now. Apparently in Texas, a Big Mac will cost you $4.39. Oh, that seems like a lot. <laughs> it does seem like a lot because in my mind, I don't know why in my mind, I just assume that McDonald's, like in my mind, everything in McDonald's is like $2. No, that's, that's just your mind. There's a reason why they have a dollar menu. Yeah. They have a dollar menu because everything else is substantially more than a dollar. Yeah, and you would just swing by McDonald's and you'd grab something off the dollar menu or whatever. You know, it's like a Whopper. Like, I haven't had a Whopper in years and years. Even though, to be fair, I, I in my mind, Whopper was a better tasting thing than any burger I could get from McDonald's. Really? Well, how come you didn't go down that route? I don't know. Burger King, you never hear about Burger King except on the commercials. Like, I never hear anybody be like, hey, I'm going to go to Burger King. But I, I, I mean, I know people and I see McDonald's like I see people eating McDonald's. I never see anybody eating Burger King, but it happens. I mean, they're very successful, obviously. They're like the number two. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Silver metal. Uh, I was never a Burger King guy either. So, uh, I mean, never. I used to eating Burger King probably. Uh, let's just say 20 times in my life. I mean, I've eaten Burger King more recently, probably than McDonald's because 
you know, eight, nine years ago, before I stopped really eating fast food, I used to swing by there for breakfast sometimes and get the French toast sticks. <laughs> That's such a kid's meal. I know, but it's so good. I mean, granted, I haven't had, I mean, literally it's been 10 years, probably the last right. time that I went to Burger King, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. I just saw that and I thought, man, Big Mac. I used to love Big Macs. Used to love Big Macs. Well, when did the love fade? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a really good. I would say when I was when I was about to turn thirty. I think I've mentioned this before. When I weighed, I weighed two hundred and twenty seven pounds, and my I, my lifestyle used to be, I would I, I would eat fast food. Honestly, I probably ate fast food five times a week. I would swing by and eat Whataburger or one of these establishments like we're talking about for lunch. A lot of the times for breakfast, you know, and I was going through some stuff. And as I hit 30, I changed my lifestyle. I lost 50 pounds. I got down to 177 pounds in six months. Impressive. And I started working out. I had stopped eating stuff like that. And I really went more lean and that was really the last time that I regularly ate fast food. And then, then even like over the next few years, you know, I probably would stop in and I would grab some fast food from time to time. But now, even more so to this point in the last couple of years, I've really stopped eating stuff like that and have really started to eat cleaner and healthier. Really just eliminating stuff that I don't like the way that it makes me feel. Well, good for you. That's, uh, that's the first thing you got to do. Yeah. Because uh, especially if you've done it for a certain way for a long time, man, if you switch it up, you, you'll be sick as a dog. That's exactly right. And it makes you feel off. And I don't know. It's just easy. Like we, we our home, we, we, the stuff that she orders and makes and all that type of thing, we don't have anything like that to eat. And so I'm, I'm never like the way that I eat now, I'm never out and about where I'm like, man, I'm starving. I'm just going to swing through over here at McDonald's or whatever. Right, right, right. Like I just don't ever no. feel that way. So no, I try to reduce that either. Keep a few things in the car. Do it before I leave. Yeah, uh, all those little tricks to uh, to prevent me from getting in a bad spot. And again, I mean, we we eat Chick Fil A. You know, we may go and get Chick Fil A chicken nuggets like once a month or something like that. You know, and, and I'll eat the fries and stuff. Like I, it's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, I never eat anything. But I don't know. It, I, I I don't know what it is. I just it never crosses my mind to swing through and get fast food anymore. You know, and I, I like the chicken fingers places. Like, I, I mean, I haven't eaten at Raising Cane's in a couple of years, but I always enjoyed Raising Cane's. No, they're all good. I just prefer to do it at the house, man. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, one, it's less expensive. And, uh, I mean, that's my main thing. You could do it for two or three times at the house than one time for going out. So, you know, it's, all, it's, it's just, uh, and I like the convenience. I mean, it sounds like it's convenient fast food, but I like the convenience of just having it at the crib, man. Yeah, I'm kind of like that way as well, you know, and, and then like if we're going to go out and, and eat, we go and eat at a, a restaurant, like we'll go and eat at like some of the local places. We don't, it's not like we're going out to go and, you know, swing through wherever we, we like right. going out to the more local places like the barbecue spots and all these types of places that are around here that I guess you would say it's more of a substantial food or whatever you would call that. I don't know, a yeah. higher level of food to some degree. No, I get you a real meal, so to speak. Yeah, a real meal. That's a good way of putting it. So I wanted to get into, before we wrap things up, a little bit of Dallas Mavs here. The Mavs, I don't know if you got a chance, that Lakers game was on national TV on Friday night, so that was awesome. I mean, granted, it was the NCAA tournament was going on as well, but I caught the end of that game when right. the Mavs come back and Maxi Kleba hits that three. I mean, that ball left his hand with like 0.1 seconds on the clock, and he drains that three to knock off Los Angeles on St. Patrick's Day on Friday night and the team goes nuts and the entire team bum rushes them and they end up dogpiling and Jason Kidd jumps on the dogpile on the court in LA. Now, what's the most interesting thing you find about that? Well, there's two things. I don't know that I've ever seen a dogpile in basketball and the fact that the head coach of an NBA team runs up and is exuberant like that and jumps on top of the dogpile with his players. True that? No. I said that because just at some point last week, story came out because he said after a game, well, you know, if we don't make the playoffs, you know, basically like life goes on. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. That's not what he said, but that was the sentiment. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. And, you know, so as 
people in media and fans will do. They immediately, oh, he doesn't care. He has no passion. Why don't he go somewhere else? Well, clearly, there's some passion based on what he did instinctively after the game the other day. Yeah, very true. That's a good point. I mean, he obviously has something. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and Luca's been out for a couple of games. Kyrie was really, really good the other night, 38-6-6. Six and six. You look at this now, and the Mavs have 11 games left in the season. They've won two in a row, including somehow, some way, they had to take the Spurs, who are horrible. They had to take the Spurs into overtime to knock them off the other night, but they... You know, they found a way to get that done, and Kyrie and Luka didn't play against the Spurs, I believe. So they're figuring it out. It, it, it's still, the West is so insane, man. They got Memphis on Monday night, wrapping up their three-game road trip. Then they come home for two, and then back out on the road for five before closing the season with three straight home games. They are two and a half games out of the fourth spot, and they are two and a half games ahead of the Lakers for the 11th spot. <laughs> They got Memphis, and then they got back-to-back Charlotte, then they got Indy. Uh, dude, they need to win three of those four. I mean, you can drop to Memphis if you want to, but they need to win three of those four. Memphis, I don't know, is that the game John Morant comes back? I don't know if he's coming back for that or not. Uh, I can't remember. It's either that game or the game after where he's coming back. You know, but uh, now that's if they don't have uh, – if Luka hadn't come back. Now, if you got Luka and Kyrie, then, yeah, go beat Memphis. Um, but, uh, if, if they can really get, you know, both Charlotte's and Indy, that gives them probably five out of six. And that will at least stabilize the ship a little bit, man. Cause it's been rugged out here. Yeah, it has been. I mean, it has been, I mean, they're one game over 500, but you look at this and I mean, outside of the top three teams, and if you want to throw Phoenix in there, they're six games above 500. You know, everybody else in, in the West is in that same boat. The Clippers are three games above 500. The Mavs a game. That's six teams. The Warriors are at 500, and the rest of the conference is down there under 500, but they're all bunched right there together. I mean, it, it is, and I almost wonder, honestly, would you rather be the four or the five and have to play Phoenix most likely, or would you rather just finish where you're at and have to play Memphis in the first round of the playoffs? They're all kind of good in their own way. Uh, obviously, you expect Phoenix to be a contender with um, uh, Kevin Durant, but you know they beat Phoenix last year, man. Um, I, don't know, I think that'd be a great series if everybody's healthy. Um, I'm to the point where if you're just playing good basketball, I don't really care because if you're playing good basketball, they've got enough pieces they can compete with whomever. Yeah, if both their guys are healthy, meaning Luca and, and Kyrie Irving, everybody else can get in where they fit in. Um, if those two guys are healthy. And so they're healthy, man. They'll take the chance against anybody. Yeah. And, and again, there's just not that one dominant team. I mean, maybe Denver, maybe Milwaukee over there in the East. You know, Mavs in this upcoming road trip, they'll play Philly, who has the third best record in the NBA. So we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, this team has just been so clunky and so inconsistent that I, I honestly have no idea what to expect. I can't fathom that they missed the playoffs with Luka and Kyrie. Surely that's not going to happen. I mean, they, they probably need – you go 7-4 and four in the final 11 games, you're going to be in the playoffs. I think so. But, um, dude, they were, they were almost on the outside looking in last week. <laughs> yeah, so, they, I mean, that's fair. And I, Everybody I, is so bunched that it doesn't take much for you to lose your spot. That's the problem. But um, I, I just think – and they picked a bad time to get both their best players, you know, hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's no great time, but they picked a bad time for both of those guys to get hurt. If they can get them both back, they'll win enough games uh, to get in. But you'd like to get six so you don't have to even deal with any of that playoff stuff, man. Yeah, and, and it's – you know, I got to tell you, I, I didn't see a season – they won 52 games last year. They went 52 and 30. I, I thought they'd be a 50-win team again this year you know, even 50 and 32, and that's obviously not going to happen. I mean, it can't happen. Even if they go 11 and 0, the most wins they can have is 47. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this, this whole thing moving forward, the future with Luka. Hopefully they can get into the playoffs and have some success and make a run again like they did last year, and, and, and Luka's happy. <laughs> I just want him to be happy and enjoy being in Dallas. Yeah, hopefully they can uh, get their guys healthy. 
and just play good basketball, man. They got enough good players if they're healthy to uh, to get in the playoffs, and then they're a team that nobody wants to deal with. But you can say that about a lot of folks in the West. Yeah, we shall see how it turns out. And finally, now obviously there's games that will be played today that will finish out the Sweet 16, but we know half of the Sweet 16 as we sit here. It happened again for just the second time in the history of life. Cannot believe it. A one seed goes down in the first round as Purdue loses to Fairleigh Dickinson. That is such a colossal upset. Fairleigh Dickinson was the lowest rated team in the entire tournament. They were 298th in Ken Palm ratings. Purdue was seventh. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a more improbable win than a few years ago when UMBC took down Virginia. And Purdue, who a lot of people thought would make a run. I thought they would lose in the second round. I didn't believe in Purdue at all. I sure as hell didn't think they'd lose to a 16 seed. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. And then you saw how Houston struggled with their 16 seed, Northern Kentucky, get out of the first round and then thump Auburn yesterday. So we're going to see how this goes. But right now, I mean, Alabama is just destroying teams. They beat Maryland by 22 points yesterday. They get a really good San Diego State team next weekend in the Sweet 16. Texas advances to the Sweet 16. They get out of the first weekend for the first time since 2008 with Rodney Terry taking over, and we'll see if they can make some noise. They're going to end up playing Xavier next week. It, it, it's interesting, man. I mean, Tennessee making it through Duke and, and doing what they've done without their best player. I don't know. All I know is that my bracket is shot to complete shit. <laughs> I had Kansas and Duke in the Final Four, and they both lost in the second round. Arkansas upsetting Kansas in a great game yesterday. So, I don't know. My other two Final Four teams and my two teams I picked to play for the national championship, Alabama and Texas, are still alive. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, somebody uh, – I had a conversation with somebody the other day about you know, upsets and this and that. And uh, obviously they were talking about Purdue losing. And they're like, well, you know, everybody can shoot to three and the transfer portal was even things up. Um and, and all of that is true, and there's more good players. And to me, the best teams aren't the best teams anymore because the guys who would have made them the best are all in the NBA or the G League or somewhere else. So just the difference between the best teams in the country and everybody else are not as big as it used to be. But the other thing, man, and I don't think people talk about this enough, is just pure belief, meaning once Maryland-Baltimore County did it, yeah, okay, now it can't be done. No different to me than breaking 10 seconds in 100 meters. No different than um, uh, what's what's the big one? Out? You know, Jim Ryan's four-mile run, four-minute mile. Once it's been done and the glass ceiling is off, you can live. Okay, somebody did it. You can literally live the dream now, and your belief factor becomes that much more up there because you've seen it now. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I, I think you get into these situations – you know, like if you're a, a, a one seed like a Purdue or even Houston against Northern Kentucky the other night, man, you get to that point in the game, you're looking at the scoreboard too. And it's like the 16 seeds going, man, we can do this. Well, the one seed's up there going, holy crap, we're supposed to be winning by 20. And then you see some of these teams start doing things that they just don't ever do. They're playing tight. They're freaking out because they're supposed to be destroying this team that they're obviously better than and they have more talent and all this type of thing. It, it, it's fascinating. I mean, Purdue, at the end of that game, kept turning it over. They kept rushing shots. And you could tell, you know, the other team's going, oh, my God, this is going to happen. Well, Purdue's doing that in the opposite way as well. So, incredible. I, I believe now one seed's all-time are 150 and two all-time against 16s. Correct, but they'll lose some more over the, uh, over the next few years. Yeah, and then, you know, another 15 seed wins. When Princeton takes down Arizona and somehow Princeton's in the elite or the sweet 16 because they also turned around and, and eliminate Missouri yesterday and they dominated that game. And you look at this, this is the third straight year that a 15 seed has won a game and the second straight year they've been in the sweet 16. Dude, tournament is the tournament for a reason. And then, you know, and now when you throw belief in with three point shooters and the transfer portal and all that other stuff. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't just, you shouldn't really be surprised when you see upsets. Yeah, I guess not. I, I just wish that my bracket I mean, hadn't been shot to hell already. Well, that's why, I mean, that's why the bracket is so hard to do, bro, because you got to take into account the upset. Yeah, and and you just, nobody, come on. 
I mean, who in the world picked a 15 and a 16? And if you did, how in the world did you pick the right one? <laughs> That's the problem. Bro. I mean, it's just, it doesn't even make sense. And so, no. unfortunately for me, I'm, I'm out. I'm, unless Alabama and Texas play for the title, I have no shot at winning our bracket challenge that we did at work. So, we'll see how it goes, I guess. I'll do my best. But that, my friends, is a podcast. Oh, by the way, how about this news? What's it? Jose Altuve broke his thumb in the World Baseball Classic and will miss the first couple of months of the baseball season. Uh, that's a downer. Man, such a shame for the Astros. See, you don't, you don't sound like you mean it. No, I, I, I just, man, it's just too bad for Houston. No, you don't, you don't, you don't seem like you mean it. I don't know. I mean, hey, he, he's got to have surgery. No timetable for return, but it'll, it'll be a couple of months. All right. Now in the real, since I know how you feel about the Astros and mm-hmm. Altuve, we think about the Mets losing Diaz, and that's two frontline major league players lost in the World Baseball Classic. Yep, and Diaz is going to miss the this, this season. No, he got hurt doing a celebration, and mm-hmm. it looked like he was acting all that silly. Yep. Um, after the, after a win, but do you think this changes how people uh, place their players on those rosters? I wondered about that. It, 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 I haven't watched a single second and could not tell you anything about the World Baseball Classic happening right now. Right. I, I, I don't understand. It's really interesting. They're trying to make this an international event. I guess some of these guys really care about it. It seems like the guys playing in it are super passionate about it for some of these other countries. But at the same time, to your point, I wonder if I'm a front office general manager and I've got a dude, I'm paying 20 $25, million, $30 million a season. Do I want him playing in this thing i think the answer is kind of like no so i can understand you know kind of the kickback on the diaz thing and, and if there's going to be some i would imagine on altuve as well where you sit here and go hey man i mean your country i get it the passion and all that but this is your job and if that puts your job in jeopardy i don't know that we can allow you to do that I'm, i hate to tell you no, I mean, I mean, you're you're my investment. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the way I look at you. Once I spend, you know, two hundred million dollars on you, and I want you to to work the best for my team. You know, the Rangers told one of their guys they couldn't go because he was still a little banged up, and they're like, "No, you need to stay here and and get healthy and uh, you know get your body right for the regular season." Yeah. And so, you know, people make team decisions like that all the time. It's just that. Um, you know, dude, I mean, it's a hard choice because guys want to play, they sure. want to be loyal to the country, especially uh, the countries like the Dominican and Puerto Rico where baseball is, a, or Venezuela where baseball is a much bigger deal than it is here. It's their version of football. Uh, I can get where both people, both parties would have a point, but ultimately it's going to be about, you know, what's best for the club. Yeah, and, and that's where, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, whether it's football, baseball, whatever. I mean, guys having their contracts, you know, you can't ride a motorcycle, you can't play pickup basketball, you can't do these certain things that are out there because the, the risk factor of that is high where an injury could happen. And I wonder if they're going to start looking at the World Baseball Classic. I mean, like you said, to your point, Diaz got hurt because he was celebrating. And we have, unfortunately, we've seen that before. I forget who it was a couple of years back that jumped up on home plate and blew out his knee and had to be carried off the field. You know, we've seen guys in celebrations at times get hurt. How do, it's a weird thing. It's a, it's a really strange thing. Because if it was the Olympics, I think we'd all, well, it's the Olympics. You got to go play in the Olympics. And that's kind of how some of these players, I think, look at the World Baseball Classic in that same kind of light. Yeah, I think they do. But then again, remember, Mark Cuban was like, eh, I don't know if we want Dirk playing in, in the Olympics because of their, the injury factor. I believe that's what he was. Yeah, which to- I mean, and I, I completely understand that, especially at a time when the World Baseball Classic is going on, where most of these guys are, use spring training to kind of get their bodies readjusted and, and get back into the rhythm of the season that is about to start. And these guys in the World Baseball Classic, it's like, oh, OK, well, you've been off for a bit, but now let's go balls to the wall like you're in the World Series busting your ass when your body may not be in prime condition for that entering the season. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. But yeah, World Baseball Classic, I, 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 it has zero appeal to me. I, I have not paid one iota of I don't even know who's left in it. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I was shocked to find that former Rangers shortstop Benji Gill was the manager at Mexico. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Old Benji Gill, I remember him. <laughs> See? Yeah. 
Well, good. I'm glad that he has found something that he can enjoy doing. <laughs> Man, they've had some weird ass dudes for their shortstops over the year. Years, I should say. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to look and see real quick because I have no idea who's in this thing. I think they're down to like the, the final few or something. Somebody for the U.S. hit a grand slam to win a game last night. Okay, so here we go. So we have Cuba and the United States will play tonight, Sunday night. And Mexico and Japan play Monday night. And the winners of those games will meet for the World Baseball Championship coming up on Tuesday night. So there you go. And now we know. Knowing is half the battle. I figured the Americans are probably pretty good. But, you know, some of these other countries, man, are just loaded with dudes. Yeah, I mean, it's what they do. It's You know, it's like trying to pick the U.S. national basketball team. Or, you know, if you're in England, trying to make the U.S. national team in soccer. It's, yeah. it's the best of the best. It's hard to get on the team for some of those countries. Yeah, Adam Wainwright is a pitcher. Lance Lynn is on this team. Okay. Interesting. All right, yeah. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Trey Turner. Bobby Witt Jr. is on the team. He's the youngest guy. Trey Turner is the guy who hit the homer. Yeah, you got Kyle Tucker, Mike Trout is on it, Schwarber, Mookie Betts. Okay, yeah, that's a loaded, that's a stacked team, man. King Griffey Jr. is the hitting coach. Damn, they got a lot of coaches. <laughs> no, for real, they have, this is insane. They have a manager, Mark DeRosa is the manager. They have two bench coaches. They have a hitting coach, a pitching coach. Well, I guess that makes sense. A bullpen guy, a batting practice pitcher. Michael Young's their batting practice pitcher. Not bad work if you can find it. Their base coaches, their bullpen coaches, Dave Rigetti. Wild, man. Okay, all right, well, World Baseball Classic, go USA. Maybe I'll watch tonight, not really. All right, well, that's the podcast, my friends. I hope everybody enjoyed it. You guys have a wonderful week. Knock it out, have a good time, and we will chat with you again in a couple of days. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.